All right. Good morning, family. Good morning. I'm stoked about this fall festival. We will see you out there. 4 p.m. Don't miss it. It's going to be fun. Thank you guys for coming back. Quick thing. I don't know if Myra said it, but all of the parking lot is going to be the fall festival, so you'll have to find street parking, but you'll be okay. There's a lot of streets around here. You'll find parking. It's going to be fun. We will see you there. But I want to tell you really quick this morning about this thing I had just a couple weeks ago. It was a a, a slice of humble pie. So I, I went... I got invited with some like friends who are like straight athletes, like they're just athletic and they're fit and stuff like that. And I'm like, all right, I'll go out. They invited me to play pickleball. Anybody play pickleball? All right. So pickleball, I've never played before. It's basically a cross between tennis and ping pong. It's like those two things had a baby and you get pickleball. And it's like one of the most easily like um, game to just learn and jump in. It has a huge, really easy learning curve. So go to play pickleball. The very first game I ever played pickleball, I don't even know the rules yet. And so they're like, well, Mark, there's a bunch of guys there. They're like, Mark, why don't you go over there with that guy, Kevin? And Kevin will kind of teach you the rules as you go. I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. Go to Kevin. Kevin's this sort of like 5'8", Japanese guy, and doesn't seem much. You know, we've got big athletes there, and he's just really casual. And he's like, yeah, so, you know, here's the line, and come up to the line here, and don't do this. And I'm like, okay, okay, trying to remember all the rules. We start playing, and we are smashing this team. And I kid you not, I'm like, I am pretty good at pickleball, like full-on beginner's luck, and I'm just sitting there like, whew, like I am getting good at pickleball. So like three, and I'm, I'm breaking some rules, kind of figuring it out as we go, and so I'm starting to hit it, and like literally one team, boom, off the court, next team, boom, off the court, third team, boom, I'm just, we're just destroying them. And I am like, dude, I am this, I've been missed my calling, like this is what I've been supposed to be doing my whole life, was play pickleball. And so we're playing, and finally we kind of get a seat off the court, and Everyone's just talking story, and I'm like, bro, like, everyone's like, oh, good job, Mark, good job. I'm like, yeah, I'm so good at pickleball. They're like, man, it's such a blessing you had Kevin on your team. I'm like, what do you mean blessing I had Kevin on my team? Like, I was, fa- I was moving faster than Kevin. In my mind, I was carrying the team, okay? <laughs> I was carrying the team. Kevin just stood there and was gently telling me where to go and what to do and all this kind of stuff. And they said, no, no, no Mark, don't you know who Kevin is? I'm like, no. He's like, they're like, Kevin, his name's Kevin Wong. He is literally the number one pickleball champion in Hawaii. <laughs> so I was like, no, like literally. And I was curious because when we sat down, people were like taking selfies with him. I'm like, bro, it's just Kevin. He's like, that's my teammate. You know what I mean? He's like my sidekick. Um, and here's the thing is Kevin Wong is so good. He competed at like national levels and stuff like that. But he's so humble. He carries himself. And they're like, Mark, bro, he was going like 80%. He wasn't even turning it on full gear kind of thing. So I was like, oh, shoot. So my pickle, I was like, I should end it right now because I was undefeated at pickleball. I only played with a world champion. So I should just stop now, basically, right? So here's the idea. We're talking about this thing called covenant. Many of us go through life really, really doing the mistake I did, which is taking credit for success in life that really is owed to God himself. Amen? <laughs> so here's the idea. Covenant, if you were missed last week, covenant is this. It's a real, here's a broad definition. It's entering a formal relational partnership to achieve a shared goal. So partnership is everything. If you live in the business world, you've heard this before, that your network is your net worth. You've heard that before? That it all has to do with partnership. That's the biggest value in life. That if there's a calling on your life, if there's a goal for you to achieve in this life, you have to look at your partnerships and be like, man, who am I running with? What am I doing and how do I achieve this goal? When we walk alone, we can expect that we're not actually walking in accordance to God's will for our life. So this idea of covenant, covenant is the word that God gives us. It's a language of faith. 
It's the language to say, this is how I relate to you. I have covenant with my people. So it's kind of a churchy word, but it's a word that really ex- describes exactly what I just shared. It's a, oftentimes there's a power dynamic shift, and we see this, that God is here and people are here, but God bridges the gap and says, I'm going to covenant with you, and he lays the foundation of promises in those covenant relationships. That's the same with you and I today, that God has built the foundation of his relationship with you on promises. What are those promises? Well, the Bible gives us a whole bunch of them. But before we jump in, we're going to talk about two big covenants that come right in the beginning of the Bible. And they both happen in Genesis. And I want you to think of a covenant like this. You think about when you build a building, you have concrete and steel, and they form the structure of the building. If you try to build a building without concrete or steel, the whole thing's going to collapse, right? So this is the idea is that a covenant is actually the structure of the most godly relationships. It's how God structures his relationship with you and I. He says, I'm going to build the terms of this relationship through what I call this, this covenant. So we know this story, the flood story. It's, it's Noah and the ark. And you've, if you miss Sunday school, here's the quick synopsis. is The world is wicked. All around it, and God was looking for someone who was righteous, and he found Noah and his family. And so in the desert, he's telling Noah and his family, rain's coming, build this ark, this giant boat. And he's like, Okay, starts building the ark. People coming over, mocking him. We live in a desert. What are you doing building an ark? <laughs> There's no water around here. And Noah, just being faithful over years and years and years, plugs away until finally the rains come. You know the, how the, the pictures, the animals climb two by two, which, by the way, it's only two of the unclean animals. There were seven of the clean animals on board. <laughs> if you read the story, it's seven by seven of the clean animals, two by two of the unclean. And then God, the rains came, wash away wickedness, and Noah and his family are spared with the animals on the ark. So how does God relating is a really important question. We're going to jump into Genesis 9. And this is when the water subsides, Noah sends out a raven. And he says, I'm going to see if the raven can find dry land. The raven says, goes back and forth, back and forth, couldn't find dry land. He says, I'm going to send a dove. Dove goes out, finds a twig from an olive tree comes back, and they, that's how they know that the land is there. Symbolism here. A raven represents intellect and cunningness. So for many of us, we think we can fill, or I should say fulfill, the promises of God in our life by our own intellect and our own cunning. And what the, what the dove represents is the Holy Spirit. It's the gentleness, the kindness, the patience to wait on God's timing. So as the raven goes and can't find land, Noah thinks, I'm going to send a dove. The dove finds an olive branch. Not, again, symbolically, the olive branch becomes the planting, of, sort of symbolically, of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. So there's this promise that Israel will be planted. The water is subsiding. There is going to be a new life coming. So it says in verse 8, Genesis 9, Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. And here's what's crazy. We forget this sometimes. He covenants with the animals too. And with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and the wild animals, every living creature on earth, yes, I am confirming my covenant with you, says the Lord. Never again will floodwaters kill all the living creatures. Never again will the flood destroy the earth. And he finishes this in a couple paragraphs later. He says this, never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal 
covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on the earth. Isn't that good? God is so enamored with his own creation that he created each one of us uniquely and in his image. And he says that I want to preserve the image bearers that I've created and all creation, animals alike. He's committing himself to saying, I am not going to get rid of, rid of wickedness by destroying it, by destroying people and animals ever again. And this is a huge thing. This is a huge promise for God to make. Because remember, what is God's what does a covenant do? It's a promise for a fulfilled or for a shared goal. What is God's goal? God's goal is that all people would come to know him and be reconciled unto him. That's what he's looking for. So he said, I can't do this because the world has gone so corrupt. The only way I can do is wash away the wickedness, spare what is good, which is Noah and his family and the animals, and start over again. And take a look at this next passage of Scripture. Um, oh, it doesn't say on the screen, sorry. But it says this. If you read on, he goes like this. He goes on to say um, that when, when Noah started his covenant with God, or God started his covenant with Noah, I should say, he says, the big thing is that you are fruitful and multiply. It's a really, really unique covenant that there is nothing that he has to do. Noah doesn't have to do anything. All he has to do is God says, hey, um, the land, the sea, the birds belong to you. He's repeating like what he repeated to Adam in the garden. Everything that I created now is under your care. Now go and multiply. Same invitation he gave Adam. And here's the problem. All he had to do was keep being righteous and keep flourishing with the animals, the plants that God had given him. He didn't have to do anything else than just be, keep being righteous. And we read on in the story that Noah failed that covenant because the same way Adam and Eve got naked and went into hiding, Noah got drunk got naked, and went into hiding, filled with shame. So this is why God's promise in this moment, this is what the rainbow represents. The rainbow represents this, that the goodness of God is so great, he is going to make a way. He's going to make a way. This is the foundation of who we know Jesus to be, that instead of having to destroy humans to get rid of the darkness that lives inside of us, he's going to make a way to die for the darkness but save the human. You see that? This is what the Lord is up to. So Jesus comes as the fulfillment of this promise because he says, no longer because you have sin on your heart, I'm no longer going to wipe you out. Wipe out all of humanity when they're dark. He says, I'm going to pull the darkness from you. That's what Jesus does. Jesus pulls the darkness from us, raises us into new light, and tells us, now go and be a light in the darkness. This is a whole different kind of invitation. So for Noah, and this is what's cool too, there's three rainbows in the Bible. One of them is here, there's another one in the prophets, and a third one is in Revelation. It says this, that when, when John, in Revelation, when he looked up into heaven, it said a rainbow circled the throne. So he saw Jesus sitting on the throne, and it was surrounded by a rainbow. Isn't that cool? This is the fulfillment of that promise. And, and it says it right here, look at verse 16. I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. This is not going to end. This is something about God. We have to know about his character that his promises are eternal. They don't have timestamps. They don't run out. What does this mean for your life? Are you waiting on a promise from God that you're kind of like, oh, maybe I missed the boat. <laughs> maybe you felt like this in life. You've missed the boat in your life. That opportunity came, but it's gone now. 
And if I, was, if I was only doing this and we get into the like, oh, if I was only the what ifs, what if I did this and what if I did this better? And the, here's the good news, that in Christ, no part of our past is regrettable because God is a redeemer and he takes the things, even the broken things of our past, and he turns them into our benefit. Isn't that amazing? So this is gay men. So this is the covenant keeping God. So, okay, hey, what's up? Moving in. All right. So... This is what, this is a new covenant moving in. Eh, sorry. Um, so here's God and Noah. God and Noah, God will make a way to overcome the darkest seas. This is what the heart of the covenant. Think about it this way. Genesis 1, it says that God created the, in, in the Bible language, seas or waters often it represents darkness and chaos. It says that over the the chaos of the waters, the darkness of the deep, the Spirit hovered, and then God came in and said, let there be light. From the beginning, the Holy Spirit was present to bring order where there was rough seas. And then it moves on to the flood, that, that that God would save Noah and his family from the darkness of the chaos of the seas that destroyed the world. And then it goes on to like Isaiah, right? Or sorry, Moses. Moses parts through the Red Sea, and the Red Sea covers up the darkness in the Egyptian army, but they're, they're, as they pass through the sea, they are protected. Isaiah, the prophet, steps on the scene and says, when you pass through the waters, I will be there to save you. Jesus enters the scene. He goes into the waters of baptism, and he comes out again. He goes into the darkness and dies and comes up in new life again. This is the promise of God, is that every time the seas of life, the chaos and the darkness ensues, God's like, I'm going to deliver you into new life. Whether it's on a boat <laughs> in, in the flood story or whether it's us now who follow Jesus today, it's that I die to my old self, I die to the darkness, and I'm resurrected in new life in Christ. That the waters become a symbol of purity, that God purifies us through the darkness of the waters, but they don't wash us away anymore. Amen? We are not overcome. We are actually more than conquerors in Christ's name. So this is what God is doing through Noah. God will make a way to overcome the darkest seas. We sing this song. He's a way maker, a miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Is this true in your understanding of God? Because here's the important thing. When we talk about covenants with God, there's going to be two big questions that are going to be resonating in your heart. There should be. Number one is this. Is the promise actually true? We can read promises in the Bible and be like, Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> Is the promise actually true? And number two, if it is, what does it tell you about the promise maker? What does it tell you about his heart, his soul, his his care for you, his compassion over you? What does it tell you about him? And then in that, it should give us this little, he is that good. Amen? He is that good. So this is what covenants do with God. And I want to talk about this word trust, because this is where it comes down to. Fun fact, it's not so fun fact, 70% of U.S. Americans... Say they, they follow Jesus, that they're Christians. And we're like, yay, 9%. That's not 90, that's 9, like 1 under 10. 9% trust in the authority of God's word in Scripture. Who? <laughs> we are a church with trust issues. <laughs> Amen? So let me talk about trust for a second, because trust comes by means of two different things. And this is like, um, it's a cultural thing. So every culture actually looks at trust in two different ways. One is what we call a head trust, and one is what we call a heart trust. The head trust is about competency. They can do it. It makes sense. I trust them with this task because I know they'll do a good job. I've seen them do it before, 
so I can trust that they'll do it again, right? It's consistency. It's you are, it, it makes sense. Heart trust is, I don't know if they can do it, but I know they're a good person. I know their family, that's Hawaii, yeah. Oh, I know their uncle. They gotta be good then, yeah, because <laughs> I'm friends with the uncle. So it's, it's more relational. I can trust you because I see you're an integral person. You have character. So the question is, which one does God <laughs> carry? Do we trust God with our heads or with our hearts? The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is both. And here's what's tricky. How many of you guys know someone maybe in the workplace who's competent and you trust them and they do a good job at the work, but then they turn around and stab you in the back? Or they turn around and steal money from the organization? Or they turn around, they lack a heart trust, but it got shadowed by that they're good at the job, right? And how many of us know the opposite? That's, they're so good. Some people are so good and they're so trustworthy, but they won't get anything done, <laughs> right? They're hard to trust, right? They're hard to, this is my third born. He's five. We're like, Micah, you're such a, he has a big heart to serve, but he can't do anything. And it's so annoying. So, like Micah, like he's just like, dad, I, but dad, I really want to help. I, he's like, I got you. And he tells me like all the time, dad, I'm going to do all this for you. I'm going to do this and do this. And I'm like, put your money where your mouth is, Micah, right? <laughs> he never follows through. He never follows through. The point is, is our trust in God has to be both. Our trust in God, why? Because God is competent and he is good. <laughs> Amen? His character is like, he is so, the, the Old Testament would say that he is rich in love and his mercy is overflowing. He's compassionate. He has this deep, there's four different words for love in the New Testament and even more, I think, in the Hebrew. But the idea is that there's so many different words that talk about how good and loving God is. And so all we can say in English is, he loves you. <laughs> he is compassionate. He's good. But it's such a depth of meaning to those words. And so the question is for you, and this is what we have to ask. Maybe you don't trust God because he hasn't shown up in your life yet. Maybe you've been praying for something and you haven't seen it. You've been praying for healing and you're like, Lord, I'm, you're the healer and I'm praying in faith, but I just haven't seen it yet. So he almost hasn't proven himself to you. He hasn't proven himself that he can do what the word says he will do. Some of you is more this. Maybe you grew up with a, just a, an emotional disconnection with God for whatever reason that might be. And you think, you're like, in faith, yeah, I know God can. I know God can. I know God can. I don't know if he will. And some of us, are, we have to get back to our trust issues because if we don't understand our, our own trust issues with God, we're not walking in full covenant power with him. Covenant is birthed out of trust that when God makes a promise, I believe he's going to do it. Amen? Simple. So this is what Noah is going through. And Noah saw, what's crazy about Noah is he saw both. He saw the goodness of God to spare him and his family. And he also saw that God actually, over years, produced the rain that he said was coming. So he knows that God's going to follow through. So this is a problem that we have is that we, many of us, we believe God, but we don't actually fully trust in the promises that he has in Scripture. And so this is one thing I want to jump. We're going to jump into the next story, which is Abraham, and we're going to see some ties here. So if you know the story of Abraham, the Lord calls him out of Ur. He's a sojourner. He's not righteous like Noah was. Noah's story, it starts off like, bro, that guy was righteous. Like, he did everything right. So it's like, okay, of course God's going to save him. Abraham was Abram at the time, was just wandering. He's a sojourner, and he was just, okay, God chose him simply because he actually came from the lineage of Noah's family through the line of Shem. So what's interesting, too, is when God told Noah, this promise is going to be eternal, that you, I'm going to birth something new through you and your family, it actually, Abraham actually picks that off. 
and God chooses Abraham to start the next movement of this promise. So chapter 12, we're going to see a couple of different chapters. God, we're going to see this with Abraham. He reminds Abraham over and over and over again of his goodness and his promise. Check out Genesis 12, verse 11. He says, The Lord said to Abram, Go to your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. What is God doing in this covenant? What's the shared goal? People will be blessed by you. <laughs> Have you thought about that before? If you're like, what does God want with my life? It's actually more than just going to heaven. It's actually that other people would be blessed by you. This is the ongoing covenant with God, that God wants to relate with you so bad that he wants people around you to be absolutely blessed by you. <laughs> Amen? God's so good. So I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. How does God give out his blessing? Everyone do one of these. How does God give out his blessing? Through you. Amen. Through you. This is how God blesses people. This is a covenant promise that in Christ, we are meant to bless others. Your life is to be a blessing to someone else. And that's not to me that you're supposed to be like struggling and all the time while you're blessing others and giving everything away. It's actually the opposite that the Spirit of God fills you up so much to a capacity where you can bless others out of the overflow of your life and be transformed into the image of His Son at the same time. <laughs> what's good for others, as Paul would say, what's good for one part of the body is good for everybody. The more you bless others, the more you'll be blessed. How many of you guys have seen this in real life before? That when I love and serve other people, it actually has an effect on my own soul. Amen. This is a part of the covenant blessing of God. So I will make you into a great nation, he says. Then he jumps over to Genesis 15. Verse 1, he says this, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. He laid the promise at age 75 that you're going to be the father of many nations. Abram's like, uh. then he shows up. Abram goes through all this stuff in chapter 14. Genesis 15, he says, stop worrying. Do not fear. Why? I am your shield, your great reward. When we talk about promises of God, oftentimes we think of what's God giving me, like, like, like a Christmas list. Ooh, what's on God's Christmas list? What's he going to give me today? Here's most of the time God's covenant promises reminds me of what you have in him. He's the reward. He says it right here. I'm your shield, your very great reward. What's the reward of being in covenant with God? God. <laughs> What's the reward of being walking out of life with Jesus? Jesus. He is the reward. And he also says this, I'm your shield. And that word shield is interesting. It's more of like, it's, it's kind of, the word could also be more like a benefactor. It's something that defends you or protects you or leads you into something new. I think of it this way. I went to Maui with a bunch of friends probably like uh, last summer. And I don't know if you've ever traveled to some, some maybe some of you guys have access to air, airline lounges. But you guys, if you have, you've been living a whole world of luxury without telling any one of us. Airport lounges are literally like little glimpses of heaven here on earth. I don't have to sit in those chairs. And they put all the armrests up in the chairs so you can't lie down anymore. Anybody else complain of that? Like anytime you can find a two-seater with no armrest, you're like trying to crunch in it. There's people, you go in there, there's people lounging, there's free coffee, there's free food. 
I've never been in one, but I walked with a friend, and this friend, he's like, oh, you guys, we can go to the lounge. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm not a member. That's not me. And he's like, no, 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 you can be my guest. And so we walk in, and this friend of mine, he says, hey, here's my thing, here's my ID. This is my guest. And I was like, huh, yeah, I'm his guest, right? This is covenant with the Lord. I have access to all the things of heaven because of whom I'm a guest with. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> That's how I get access to heaven. As Jesus becomes our host, he hosts all of the covenants. Every single covenant he says in the Old Testament, guess who initiates it? God does. Humans don't be like, Lord, I'm going to strike a bargain with you. If you try this, it will fail. I've done this myself too. Lord, I promise I'll do this if you can give me this, if you can provide in this way for me because I really need this. So we start negotiating with God. He laughs at us, I think. I'm pretty sure God laughs at us. It's not in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure he does. He's like cracking up at us. But here's the thing. I am your shield. I'm your benefactor. You can walk under me, and I'm going to protect you from things. I'm going to lead you into places where you don't have access. This is an amazing trait about God. And now what we have in the new covenant in Christ is no longer is Jesus like out there as the shield trying to protect, or you know, God is kind of covering over Israel or over his people. It says, now the Spirit of God dwells on the inside, and he gives us access to the Father, because the Spirit of Christ who lives in us connects us to the Son who says, I'm the only way to the Father. Amen? So this is a really, really important covenant that we actually see fulfilled in the time of Jesus as well. So moving on, Genesis 15, Abram said, sovereign Lord, (laughs) what can you give me since I remain childless? He's like, I see your promise. I'm going to be the father of many nations, but I'm childless. Who will inherit my state? The one is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given to me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. He's like, is this it? I'm going to be a father in many nations, and my butler's going to take my lineage and my heritage and all this, because he's going to be the heir to my, my empire, so to speak. And check out what God says. The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. He took him outside and said this. Let's think about God saying, bro, should I go outside? Look up. You see all the stars. <laughs> that's what he does. Look up all the stars, and every star you see, that's how many descendants you're going to have. This is like literally leading him. It's like, you're not getting it. Trust me. Look up at the stars. That's how many descendants you're going to have, Abraham. Trust me. <laughs> right? So shall your offspring be. And it jumps over to Genesis 17. And in Genesis 17, it said this. Well, we'll stop in Genesis 16, but it's not on the screen. But Genesis 16 is when Abraham, he's like, okay, I get it. I get the promise. I get the promise. But he takes it into his own hands. And this is something we have to learn about our relationship with God too, is if God has said something, wait for his timing. Amen. Because what happens is we take things into our own hands. And Abraham was getting worried about he's getting older. One thing Abraham wanted children. I need a children. You, ta- you promised me children. I'm waiting for children. When is my children coming? God had him in this waiting period. And in that period, he met um, his wife, Sarai, then to, soon to become Sarah, said, why don't you go and have a baby with the servant, the butler, Hagar? Because at least you'll get your lineage going, right? And that began the birth of Ishmael. So Ishmael then becomes the birth child of Abraham taking God's covenant into his own hands and saying, I know the promise, I'm going to try to do this myself. 
instead of waiting upon the power of the Lord. And God is gracious, and he blesses Ishmael and that whole thing. And then verse 17, he shows up again. He says, when Abram was 99 years old, again, this is 24 years after he first got the promise. He's been waiting 24 years for this to come to fruition. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and it will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. And the story goes on. They actually have a baby at the age of 99. And here's what's crazy. I feel like um, this is probably the problem for many of us, is we have God's promises seem up here. <laughs> right? It's like a cliff. And then reality is here. <laughs> Anybody ever feel the difference between reality and God's promises? Amen. That's a normal human experience. There's some kind of chasm here, <laughs> and we don't know, what does it take? Pastor Mark, I get this all the time. Pastor Mark, how do I actually see the promises of God fulfilled in my life? And so we go like this, like, how do I get from here to here? And you can be like Abraham, and you can take it into your own hands. Say, I see the promises. I'm going to nav- find my way to get there. Balaam does the same thing. It's all over Scripture. People are always seeing what God wants and trying to skeeze their way to get there in some kind of manipulative way. And this is the, the problem of the human condition is it's a lack of trust that God will do it and that he can do it. His competency and his character, both working hand in hand. And for you, for you and I, here's the good news. Jesus steps onto the scene and bridges this gap, and here's what he says. You want to bridge do the gap from reality to promises? Here it is. It's faith. That's all it is. Do you have the trust? Do you have the faith that wherever you're at in life, the promises of God will see themselves through in your life? Is God that powerful? Is he that good in your life? When you talk to him, do you sense that that sense of peace and security from him that he is going to bring me up? He is going to deliver me through the darkness of the seas. He will. He has before and he'll do it again. Amen? And this is one of the times we have really selective memory with our stuff. I don't don't know how many times I've been through the same circle of life where I feel like, brah, God's promises, I've seen them come into pass in my life before, but not this time. (laughs) Anybody been like that before? I've seen God's goodness before. When I was this, he saved me in this way. And, you know, if you've been saved in a really cool way and you have a dope story about just how God's worked in your life, remember it. Because times are going to come again where his promises seem out of reach and God's like, hmm, remember that? (laughs) Remember when I did that? You don't think I can do it again? right? Remember, I forget the number, it's, it's repeated so many times in Scripture. Remember, remember, remember. God's already done it. Amen? And this is what we have faith in Christ, is that in Christ, the promises of God have already come into completion. <laughs> this is when it gets wild. You guys ready for this? This is new covenant kind stuff. So God and Abraham, here's a quick thing. God and, if we take anything from God and Abraham's covenant relationship together. And so we know this, that God's promises come with God's divine timing. Don't get impatient. Wait through it. Endure through it. I love how like the New Testament always talks, Paul especially always says this, oh, you have troubles in your life? Endure it. 
That's it? <laughs> That's all the wisdom you have for me? Yeah, just make it through. You got this, right? Because Paul knew at the core of who he is, he has a covenant with the living God. And if I have a covenant with a God that I trust and I know he's good and he shows up, endure your sufferings because everything else will take care of itself. We have to remember, church, that in our covenant relationship with God, he does the heavy lifting. The moment you start trying to take control of your own relationship with God is the moment where God's like, oh, this is not going to go well for you. <laughs> remember when Israel asked for a king? Israel's like, God's like, I will be your king, Israel. And they're like, yeah, God's our king. Oh, but we want a human king too. God actually gives them in to what they want, but he says, look, if you're going to take charge of this situation and have your own king, I'm going to warn you, this isn't going to go well for you. And Saul didn't go well for them. So God always follows with us. He's with us side by side. He gives into sometimes our own, um, our own longings and our own desires. He'll let us have what we want as a way to bend us back to say, okay, do you actually trust me now? <laughs> but I don't know about you. I noticed the biggest moments of freedom that I felt in my faith, freedom from sin, freedom from bad thinking, freedom from deceptive and hollow philosophies, it says in Colossians, came at the point of absolute surrender to the Lord. You actually become stronger in Christ the more that you make yourself weak. You give up your sense of control and say, Lord, have your way. Something's going to shift in you. It says that a mountain can be moved by a mustard seed of faith. Mustard seed's super manini, you guys. Like, that's like, think of a couple grains of sand kind. That's how much faith you have to move mountains. Why? Because it's not you who moves it, it's God. My faith is in the one who can. What does God say? How much faith do you need? Just a little bit. <laughs> if you're going through a hard time in life right now, and you're like, Pastor Mark, I don't feel like I have a lot of faith. Good news. You'll need it a little bit. Because God can work with what you have. And so, and I, and I pray this for you, I pray this for everybody, that as we step into true faith, where we surrender ourselves to God, that we actually start walking into his promises, and they come in uncanny ways sometimes. I could tell you all kinds of stories where how God's promises showed up, but it worked in a way that I never expected before. We tell this story all the time, but like we, when we took our kids to Molokai, our youth group to Molokai, five, six years ago, I was expecting the kids to encounter God. But I was burdened with the, bane, the thorn in my flesh, which is administrative skills. And I had to make a plan for this trip. And I was going right up to the day, like I'm like day before. I was like, bro, we got to like figure out what we're going to do. And we didn't have like daily devotions. Like I've been on a lot of trips before. We didn't have daily devotions. We didn't have like um, formal circle times and prayers and worships in the morning. We didn't have that. It was very unstructured. And the promise that I felt like the Lord was saying to us is that your kids are going to encounter the Lord. But in my mind, I already had it made up how we were going to get there. Does that make sense? And so in my mind, I already had the structure. This is how the Lord's going to move. We have to do this, 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 and this, and we're going to see kids encounter the Lord. Through my lack of administrative planning, everything felt spontaneous every day, but the Lord moved hearts towards it together. Kids were encouraged, encouraging each other. They started praying for one another. It came to a place where, as leaders on that trip, we're like, oh, bro, these kids are just like praying for each other. We, we don't have to do anything. <laughs> I don't have to step in and take control to make sure kids are encountering the Lord because the Lord was meeting them where they're at. The promise stayed true. All I had to do is have faith and obedience to get kids onto the island, <laughs> right? To get them onto the trip. And the Lord's like, I got this. Let me take care of it. This is your life too. There are things that you're running through in your life and you're like, what do I do? 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 Release. Release control to the Lord. 
And if you're like, what does that actually mean? Because I actually have to make a decision. <laughs> Release control to the Lord. Use the discernment of the Spirit in you. Choose what's wise and what's good and what's noble and right and pure and excellent and praiseworthy, it says in Philippians. Think about those things. Make a decision from that place. And when you see that, I promise to God, I promise to you that God's promises to you, God's promises will show up in your life. Amen? I believe that. And there are some people, I'll just be real, there are some people who talk to me like, I'll kind of, you're looking for healing. And you feel like God has promised that I will be healed from this or I will be delivered from this. Um, for many of us, fertility, that Lord's going to give us a child, right? That's literally the story we're reading. Hold on in God's timing. He's going to make his promise known to you. Amen? And this is a trust thing. This isn't a, I don't see the fruit of it. What do I do? I got to take control and figure it out. No, no, no. Covenant relationship rests in the trust of God because a covenant relationship has a shared goal. And I want what God wants. Here's what God wants. He wants to bless others through you. It's been that way since day one. Noah and his family blessed the world. Abraham, you and your family, bless the world. You and your family, fill in the blank, go bless the world. And he will give you the promises that he's given you, the desires of your heart when we follow into his will and bless people. Amen? And so here's the good news is um, <laughs> when it comes to faith. Jesus says this, right? The promises of God, I can say, Pastor Mark, I believe that these are true, right? They're truth. And the promises of God give me life, Right? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Don't forget that Jesus is the means to Jesus. <laughs> Does that make sense? That following Jesus, he gave us the way, he gave us the path. To follow Jesus is to follow the direction into the promises. So I want to confess my sin because if I'm living in a certain sin, I know that I'm not going to see these. I want to make sure that I'm loving people the way that God loved them. I want to make sure that I'm shaping my mind to see things through the lens of heaven. Because if I'm still looking through earthly eyes, I'll never see this. Never. Paul says, my life is hidden in Christ. Nobody will see my life, the goodness of my life, unless Christ is made known. Then they'll see me too. You see Christ, you see me. <laughs> Amen? That's how it is. My life is hidden. So I can't live the truth and the life that God has promised me unless I'm following the way of Jesus. This is why we're here, Yeah? Jesus gave us the ways. I'm the way. Let me show you the way to the Father. And this, check out um, this, this quote. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says this, that faith is not merely a journey for the feet, but it's also a journey for the heart. Faith is not just a journey for your feet. It's a journey for your heart. Can your heart wander its way back to trust in God this morning? Are there things and doubts and frustrations with God that you can address this morning? Be like, Lord, I haven't trusted you. I've been trying to take control of my own life in these ways because I haven't realized the covenant nature of your son, that he paid a price so that I could have an access to the Father and access to his promises that I've never realized before. I pray that the, your eyes would open up this morning and, show, and God would show you where the journey of your heart has to lead you back into a place of trust. Amen? This is why Jesus says, who has the greatest faith in the kingdom? Children. Why? Because children trust with no end. They don't have a hesitation. They don't know evil in a sense to, to discern right and wrong. They just know this person's telling me this, I'm going to believe them. I'm going to trust it. It's trusting at face value. That's actually our relationship with God is a childlike faith. I want to trust God with everything I have, my head, my heart, my body, everything. Amen? And so here's a prayer for, you, for all of us this morning. And... Um, Here's a prayer for all of us. Yeah, thanks, Laura, if you want to come up. Um, 
just as we close, we're going to spend some time in prayer. Here's God in you. We, know, we talked about God in Noah and God in Abraham. Here's God in you. God in you. Here's some questions to ask. What promises are yet to be fulfilled in your life? Are there things you're waiting for to happen in your life? Things you're waiting to see come into fruition. I know for us and our family, we're waiting for the salvation of family members for years. And it's been crazy to see, even just six months ago, someone in our family come to know Christ like in an unprecedented way. And we're like, oh, brah. Don't stop waiting. <laughs> Don't stop believing. That's really our anthem. Don't stop believing. Don't stop. Endure it. Keep going. Keep trusting. Keep being, keep being faithful because it's not actually our faithfulness we're relying on. It's God's faithfulness. Covenant relationship is built on the promise of God's faithfulness and not ours. So it lets us rest and carry his yoke. But what promises are you waiting for that are yet to be fulfilled in your life? Number two, how much endurance are you running with? Have you thrown in the towel with the thing called faith? Have you thrown in the towel and being like, Lord, <laughs> I can't keep going because what I need in life, I feel like I'm not getting. Here's the good news. The surrender flag is actually a really good thing in the kingdom of God. Surrender it, but stay close to him. Don't surrender and run. Surrender and stick close. Surrender, wave the flag, put it down, and be like, Lord, you do it then. <laughs> That's a bold prayer. You probably never heard that from a pastor before. Tell God, I can't do this. You do it for me. That's actually an invitation for God to step up in his covenant relationship with you. That might shift things in your circumstance. Lord, I can't do this. I need you to do it. Right? Where, how much endurance you're running with. Number three, where might you be lacking in trust of God? Have you feel like God has disappointed you? Have you felt like God has left you behind? Have you felt alone? Have you felt forsaken by God? Can you believe the promises that we know are true, that he has never left you nor forsaken you? He's been with you the whole time. He has covered you with his love and his mercy. Do you have eyes to see it? And do you have prayers of faith when you pray for those things? And the last one is this, is what has Jesus done to already fulfill that promise? Sometimes we think that we forget that Jesus had already come to fulfill all of God's promises. Like it says in this last verse, 2 Corinthians 1, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you in God's ultimate yes. He always does what he says. I'm going to say that again. He always does what he says. He always does what he says. For all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes and through Christ. Amen. So Noah fell into shame. He couldn't keep his end just to go and be fruitful and multiply. Christ becomes the Noah that Noah couldn't be. Hebrews talks all about that. Abraham we know the story of Abraham too. Abraham couldn't complete the task that God gave him. He says, you need to walk in obedience, be righteous, be circumcised, all of these things. And Abraham too falls off. So Jesus becomes the new covenant holder. He fulfills what we can't. And this is true for you and I, that whatever promises God has made in our lives, where we feel like we have failed, if anyone is in here, it's like, oh, God won't work with me anymore because I burned that bridge. Uh-uh, I'll ole that one. That's not true. That by faith in Christ, no, burn, no bridges are ever burnt. And if you feel like an opportunity is missed, wait for the next one because God's bringing it into your life. I believe that. So believe 
that all promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. You already have the covenant of God in you. Amen? That covenant relationship wants to birth something new out of you for the purpose that others in this world would know and love God and be loved by God because of you. Amen? So let's stand and pray this morning. And we're going to just ask ourselves these questions reflectively. If we can put the questions back up. What promises are yet to be fulfilled? How much endurance do you have? Where might you be lacking in trust? And what has Jesus already done to fulfill this promise? Christ has done a lot, (laughs) if not everything in this world. Amen? Let's just give a minute of just you and the Lord. Talk story with him. He's your covenant God. Wants to covenant with you. Just spend a minute with him. every single request right now, Lord. We pray that you would repair the bonds of lack of, that lack of trust has broken over the years with so many of us. God, we trust you. We want to declare that we trust you because you're good and because you can. You're competent. And God, we just pray that in this season, we would have the spirit of um, the brothers in the fire in the book of Daniel who said that the Lord will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, he's still God. Lord, that whatever we're asking for in our hearts, that we have the faith to understand your goodness despite our circumstance. We thank you, God, for this covenant that you bear the weight, that you give us a new yoke to carry, and that your yoke is easy and it's light and it brings rest to our souls because we don't have to strive to make our relationship right again. Lord, I pray for just a holy surrender for each one of us, to surrender our circumstances, to surrender the anxiety that is coming with those circumstances to surrender the things that we are out of our control. Because nothing, Lord, is out of your control. And we want to trust you as you take charge in our life. Jesus, enter us in a new way that would just bring us more peace, more satisfaction, and dependence on your spirit for us to live and to find life in this world. And Jesus, I pray for every little inkling, every little idea, every little seed planted. I know in this church that you have planted Seeds to have ideas in business or ministry or in school, things that are going to bless and equip others. We know, Lord, that you're the one who plants seeds, and we pray, God, that we'd have trust to see you, that with the seeds you've planted, to water them, to see them flourish in your covenant relationship with your children. And so, Jesus, we just pray for those things to to have faith, to pursue the things that you've put in our hearts, the things that are going to make you known and that are going to love and bless others. Lord, help us not to sit on the talents you've given us, but to walk freely because of the forgiveness we have in Christ. And finally, Lord, we pray 
that whatever sin needs to be forgiven, whatever pilikia has crept in and kept us from walking in full covenant with you, Jesus, we pray and surrender that at your feet too. God, we confess our sins. We thank you that you are faithful and just and forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. We pray, God, for this beautiful opportunity to walk in covenant love with you as we surrender our lives fully to you. We pray, God, for those waiting on you. That it says in Isaiah that those who wait upon the Lord are going to be renewed with strength and they're going to rise up with wings as eagles and fly right over the storm. Jesus, teach us to wait. Teach us, Lord, patience to wait on you. And God, prove yourself in the waiting that we would see you and be like, oh my gosh, next time, Lord, I'm going to wait better. <laughs> Lord, we want to trust you and we want to wait on you well. So Lord, put that long-suffering patience in our hearts that we might wait for you with patience, with clarity, and with hope for a future. Lord, we love you. We bless you as we honor you this morning. We pray that your covenant would enlarge in with each person here grow deep us, grows deeper in your covenant relationship, love. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said this morning, amen. Amen. Let's give God some love.